0: Did you know there's a difference between upsells and cross-sells? An upsell is when customers add something to the cart and you offer them an upgrade or a better version. So let's say it's coffee. They add a one-pound bag and then you upsell them the two-pound bag. When they accept, the two-pound bag is added and the one-pound bag is removed from their cart. A cross-sell is when your customer adds something to the cart and you offer them a product to go along with it. So let's say it's that coffee again. Your offer might be coffee filters, and when they accept it, the filters get added along with the coffee. And of course, you could do them all together. So let's say your customer adds coffee to the cart, you offer them the two-pound bag, bam, they accept it, and then when they click checkout, you offer them the extra filters. And then finally, after the checkout, you could have a special offer that expires in five minutes with a big countdown timer in their face to get one more bag for 50% off. So how would you implement that money-making magic? Well, with Bold's product upsell app, the first-ever upsell app on Shopify, it's been a game changer for stores, and recently Bold made some major improvements to it that are taking it to the next level. This might just be the one app every store should have, assuming you have more than one product, of course. With the new upsell version 3.0, you can offer upsells and cross-sells before and after checkout with one click. And even better, if you have the free Bold Brain app, all these upsells can be automated. So if you're not offering some form of upsells on your store, you're leaving big, heaping piles of money on the table. You can get started with BoldApps product upsell today with a 60-day free trial by going to EtherCycle.com Bold. That's EtherCycle.com Bold. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get. And more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily. And it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them. They are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com unofficial. That's seomanager.com unofficial.
1: take my hand. You're recording this, aren't you?
0: Yes, yes I am. Ah, good. (laughs) The levels look good. Oh, good, I'm glad. Hello and welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster. Joining me is my co-host, business partner, and producer, Mr. Paul Anthony Rito. Paul, how you doing?
1: Again, no middle names. How many times do I got to tell you this?
0: What was that, Anthony?
1: Oh, I'm going to kill you.
0: (laughs) So... Today on the podcast, we're going to try something new. We are doing a reader mailbag discussion episode. So for us to do a episode, Paul and I do in a discussion, every other week, certainly there are going to be times where something sparks our interest and we're going to be able to do a discussion, but there are going to be weeks where we go, well, what the heck do we talk about? And we want to make the show more valuable than ever for you in 2019. So we need you to give us discussion topics, and I've been... Uh, asking a little bit in the Facebook group. So if you've got a discussion topic, there's something you're like, man, I want to hear this. Um, I need help with this. This is where I'm struggling. This would be interesting to hear. This is my pain or problem. Whatever it is, post it in the Facebook group as a comment. Or uh, if you're on my newsletter, when you get the the weekly email with the podcast, just reply go, hey, Kurt, I'd love to hear about X. That would be tremendously valuable for both of us. Gives me something to talk about and you will get uh, some insight into whatever is currently keeping you up at night. So, in today's episode...
1: So the code for that is it's been four weeks and we've already run out
0: of gas. (laughs) It's tough. Well, it's (laughs) tough. Like, when I did the e-commerce hacks weekly series, I'm like, it's a a five-minute hack once a week. How hard could this be? And, like, the first...
1: That's 52 hacks, bro. Yeah,
0: 52 (laughs) hacks. The first 25, no problem. By the last, like, in 40 to 50, that I had to, like, research just... For an hour to get a five-minute hack each time. So I want to keep the quality up. I want it to be great. I just need your help to do it. We do have uh, three topics I wanted to touch from listeners. And the first is, is an easy one. Um, Bryn Morgan, who replies to my emails often, and so few people do. Um, I do. I read them. I read my own emails. He replied and said, hey, I love podcasts. I love them as a user. I was like, I have my phone in my pocket and just listen to it. It's not like a video Um, could you talk about the technical side of creating podcasts from how to record and edit over to what formats are needed so as many people as possible can listen to it easily, et cetera, et cetera. It's basically saying, hey, how do you produce your podcast and like, what's the easy mode cheat to recording your own podcast? And I think this is valuable um, for the e-commerce perspective because I asked in the group this week, I said, hey, do you listen to any e-commerce podcasts or are there any e-commerce brands that have podcasts that grew out of podcasts? And I figured there'd be like one or two. I could not believe how many there were um, that people people brought up. And the one that came up over and over, I'm not familiar with it. Maybe you are Boardwalk.
1: I have no clue what that is.
0: Yeah, it's like a t-shirt brand with a really successful podcast, and it was like Board B O R E D. Well, oh, little play on words there. It's
1: very punny.
0: Yes. Double entendre.
1: It's not that. No, no.
0: But I like it. So, double entendre is n- so fun to it's not say. Not that. The so, um, producing a podcast. Well, you were just saying like, man, we got to be in the top ten percent of audio quality because so many podcasts sound so bad.
1: Yeah, they're like recorded at the bottom of a well, or well, at least one of the guests is at the bottom of a well.
0: So, what uh, you edit the podcast? Walk us through uh, the software, the process, and your your tips.
1: Well, for, well, it, it starts before it gets into software. I mean, uh, well, now, you know.
0: I just felt I'd been talking too much. Like, obviously, we should start with the mic.
1: Yeah, well, now you've, like, completely balled out. You have all this ridiculous audio equipment on your desk that you didn't have six months ago because you've just decided you need that now.
0: I decided uh, to. I want to invest in quality of the show.
1: All right. But the show sounds pretty much the same as it did six months ago. It was a ah, real good, great, great work by you. Uh, so, like, what mic did you use a year ago?
0: So for the majority of the show, I just used a regular USB mic. Uh, it was a Shure PG42, was the name of the mic. Um, I got it used from a friend. It was less than a hundred bucks, um, but knew they were, I think, two hundred bucks. But you, I think the just using a good, a decent USB mic will get you a great sound. All and right,
1: so it's a USB mic, and one of the guests call in with you. Still use Skype?
0: We use uh, yeah Skype, and then we use um, Skype Call Recorder is the software. That's important here. It records both sides of the conversation as two separate tracks for you to edit.
1: Yeah. So it's two separate tracks. It comes to me as a MOV file for some reason because Kurt turns off the video. So I just take the audio track out of that QuickTime MOV file, load it up in Audacity, which is a free open source audio editing software. Uh, And then I pretty much just, you know, do noise reduction if there's like background noise, like air compressor or whatever. Um, we used to have to do it at the old office. We don't have to do that here because our new office is very quiet. Um, if there's background noise on the guest feed, I remove that. Then I just normalize it, um, work out the audio levels to make sure everyone's kind of at the same volume. Um, and then I, I actually quicken the tempo. There's a thing that that's um, increased tempo. It's not like really the pitch or the speed, so you don't sound like chipmunk's. It's just like you talk a little faster. I increase the tempo by 4%, oh. and that really makes it clip along Gives a little it, makes bit Makes it better. snappy. Makes it real snappy. And then I pretty much listen to it and uh, remove any parts where you say, Paul, remove this. That didn't work out. Or things that I decide are too boring.
0: Which, yeah, please, feel free Um and what's interesting is I'm not part of that discussion, conversation. I never have been. I don't want to be. I yeah, want Kurt the just guy records editing the episode
1: it. and hands it to me, and then I, then I do everything else. I put in the ads. I master the audio. I upload the audio to our host. Like, he doesn't – he's just the host.
0: So going um, going back to the, the mics, if I just want – the mic I had used previously is discontinued now. The one I – especially when a guest goes, well, I don't have a good mic. What do you recommend? Just get a Blue Yeti. They're 130 bucks on Amazon. Blue Yeti USB mic. It is. It sounds way better than it has any right to for a hundred dollar microphone. If you want to get the extra ten percent additional quality, that's going to be like a uh, significantly bigger budget. So our current setup is a Shure SM7B microphone. That's uh, like the, say that's the mic Joe Rogan uses. Um, ton of people use that mic. We've run that into a DBX 286S compressor, which does a whole bunch of stuff that normally you'd do in post-production, and it's just nice for like live stuff like webinars um, or when I'm a guest to get better audio for uh, their recording and then just a, a regular USB audio interface from Scarlett, um, Scarlett Focusrite 2i2 <sighs> and some cables, some assorted cables in there. But, like, it's 10% better than just a USB mic. The most important thing is have a quiet room. So we've got like foam in here that helps. There is no no amount of spending money in a microphone that is going to fix a room that's like loud and echoey. You just can't get around that. Um, also
1: there's no amount of spending in a microphone that will make your show not boring if it's boring. Yeah. Like people will listen to you know, it's like the old argument with MP3 is that like MP3 audio quality is so far below CD audio quality, which you know, that's kind of negligible, but the ability to have it become portable and share the music and move the music around completely overrode the audio quality issues. So, quality content in your show will overlook a lot of quality
0: issues. Absolutely. Uh, great anecdote on that topic. I was briefly in a Slack room with Aaron Mankey from Lore. Um, Lore, really popular podcast, was top 10 on frequently pops up in top 10 in iTunes. Um, Amazon turned it into a TV show. Um, and when he had just started it and it launched, I, uh, I or somebody else in the chamber would ask, Hey, what, what do you record with? And he goes, Oh, I'm just in the office in my house. And I've got, it was a blue Yeti microphone for a hundred bucks. So like the, that it, he spent less than $200 on his recording gear. The quality is going to, or the content will always trump the audio quality. Um, so worry more about that. Like it's fun to mess with the toys, but. The content of the show is the important part. Um, then for hosting it, it's easy to get caught up in like, I'm going to build a WordPress site and do all this fancy stuff. Most people are just going to listen to it in a player. So like a fancy website is just another liability, a thing for you to maintain.
1: Yeah, like 90% of the time, they're just downloading it onto their iPhone.
0: Yeah. So just use uh, the simplest thing. In this instance, we use Simplecast. It's 12 bucks a month. It is exactly what it sounds like, a simple podcast hosting solution. It doesn't have a ton of features or options. Though Simplecast 2.0 is rolling out around now. Um, that should add some stuff. But, yeah, no, don't make your life hard. Just go easy. If you're going to be producing content, always try and set limitations so you don't get nuts on production and all this. the things that aren't creating content so that you don't get bogged down in it and actually do it. Uh, I hope that— That's
1: the main thing. Yeah. That, that, like, that is applicable to— all of our business advice and all our advice we have for everyone. Show up and do it. Is just like, show up and do it. Be consistent. It's like, just get it done and do it. And don't worry about small things. Like, don't worry about whether you have doodads or the quality of your microphone if the actual content is garbage. Like, make the content not garbage. And then you could worry about little ancillary side things like getting a cool-ass microphone.
0: When we started the show, I don't know how long this lasted... Like at least the first 20 episodes, I used a $30 portable USB mic. Yeah. It was like a pocket USB mic. And guess what? Never in the entire time we've been doing this show has a single person ever even mentioned audio quality to me. Yeah. It doesn't matter.
1: So you're going to be returning all the stuff that's sitting on your desk? No, this
0: stuff's awesome. <laughs> These are <is> my toys. <laughs> Every time you yeah. talk, there's just LEDs going off.
1: No, yeah, I know.
0: You, got, like a, you like
1: you check your levels like two times a day. You're like, oh, it's still good. It's like it. an atomic clock. You're constantly just like
0: tweaking it. That's how I no. That's how I procrastinate. <laughs> it feels productive. Really, hey. it's just messing with knobs. Hey, Kurt, what'd you do to procrastinate today uh, on our website? Oh man, I th- want to bring back the fun old days of when websites were fun, blogs were fun. So I wanted to add a counter to the website where it's like it shows the number of visits in the footer. And I had gotten the PHP most of the way there, but then hit a roadblock and just gave up on it entirely.
1: So while you were doing that, what was I doing?
0: Uh, Probably messing with checkout upgrades for Shopify Plus. Yeah, yeah, I was doing like work.
1: Yeah, and then i you know, and I just hear, oh, I broke our site. I think
0: I didn't. I didn't break anything. Yeah, sure, I didn't break anything. You don't want to start policing my behavior. All right,
1: (laughs) this is two way street. I don't know. I don't. I I I'll come out on the short end on that.
0: Yeah. All right, um, so that – I th- ultimately, like, recapping the podcast thing, keep it simple. Don't make yourself crazy. Um, go with a format that you're comfortable with, and the most important thing is just – is consistency and showing up. Like, yeah, launch
1: – Do it every week.
0: Yeah. I wish – the only thing I wish we'd done differently is launch with several episodes as opposed to just one so that people who find it know, okay, this is an ongoing thing. They're going to keep doing it.
1: Well, yeah, and and you know to kind of get around the opening, the opening push where it's like you know after four four or five weeks it gets where it gets harder. You're not like oh no I'm out of I'm out of ideas. No, oh, like you yeah, have absolutely. the four you have the four or five already in the can, and now you have a little bit of wiggle room to figure out what you're doing.
0: Yes, yeah, it's always I don't like the stress of like we have to have an episode for next week. Like right now we've got months worth of content and that feels great because then the pressure isn't on just get something out it's all right we could spend the time and create something of better quality i think we've sufficiently covered podcasting and my addiction to things with leds and knobs yeah the moving on this question i love someone asked um how do you increase traffic without google and facebook ads and how do you build an audience and how do you do it From the start, so that's an interesting question. There's two parts here. Is a, I think the I interpret the question as um, how do you build, how do you get qualified traffic to your store without spending money on pay per click ads, especially early on. That's rough.
1: Well, I mean the real, to me, yeah, it's sort of like you know. So you've you've got a product you're making, you're going to do it. You're you're ready to go. You have a store set up, and when you have a store running, the most powerful weapon in your arsenal is Facebook lookalike audiences. But in order for Facebook lookalike audiences to work, you need an audience for it to look like. And so you need to already have purchases.
0: There's a chicken and egg problem. And people
1: hitting your store. So it's like if you can't turn on the fire, Facebook fire hose until you get those initial sales, how do you get the initial sales?
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. And uh, Anyone starting a new store, I always tell them, hey, the absolute hardest thing you do— is those first hundred orders? The idea, not that hard. Anybody can come up with the idea. Um, the I'm sure you've, there's been situations where like you see a new an As seen on TV product, you go, I had that idea. Yeah, but you didn't do anything with it. Is the see, difference showing up? Uh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, building the store, not that tough. Shopify makes it easy. You build the store, hire somebody to do it, and then man, those first hundred orders, that's the hard part. And then after that, okay, you got a hundred orders, you go. You can look back at it and start scaling, figuring out what does and doesn't work and scale that. It's that in between point that is absolutely brutal. Um, so, in the, uh, the ad agency world, which we both came from, they call it brand activation when you're launching something new. And I think that's an important distinction. So, you're pro- um, when you're starting something new versus like launching uh, your third, fourth product, your product or company brand name initially and immediately is more or less meaningless. So you have to breathe life into it. So unless your brand is only imbued with power when people become aware of it and start to talk about it. So it's, it's like Candyman. We were talking about horror movies earlier before the show. It's like Candyman. you got to drive awareness first and fo- foremost to get people to whisper about your stuff on the streets. <laughs> like Candyman, Candyman. <laughs> if no one's talking about it, if you're not getting that word of mouth, it, it's meaningless. It's like if a tree falls in the woods, does anybody hear it? If it's your brand and no one's heard of it, no, it's it, nothing.
1: Oh, yeah, it, that's uh, that's one of our favorite pet peeves. A, a client will, like, make all these demands on us, and they'll be like, well, our, we're having our big store opening launch tomorrow, so it needs to be done for the launch tomorrow of our new store. Yeah, the
0: grand opening, the launch of our online store. That's a red flag that they've never done it before.
1: Yeah, it's just like, oh, you just think you're just going to publish a URL, and all of a sudden, thousands of people are going to be looking at your store? Like, Unfortunately, that yeah. from?
0: Like, if, if you could figure out how to do that, great. And occasionally people have said, like, yeah, here's my launch plan. Here's what I'm going to do. Okay, that's better. But that idea of, yeah, know, we're going to cut the ribbon, throw open the doors, yeah, and we're people take, will come rushing we're in. We're taking
1: down the password protection on our store, so, you know, thousands of people are going to be looking at it tomorrow. Like, uh, what's the middle step, <laughs> underpants gnomes?
0: It, yeah, it's always, it's baffling. Um, or it's frustrating when people are like, oh, we got to get this password page styled better. No one's looking at it.
1: Yeah, who's looking at the password page?
0: Nobody. Of course, Like, if it were that easy, my God. Um, so what do you, all right, so let's say you get there, you launch the product, but you don't have a list yet. Or you launch, your, you open your store, people can give you money for it, you don't have a list yet, how do you...
1: How do you get a list?
0: Yeah, how do you get the list, how do you drive awareness? So I think there's, um, well, number one, I mean, you, ideally you want to start collecting, before the stuff's even available, start trying to collect that email list early. Like, do surveys and pre-orders and early bird. Like, that might be ways around it, but, but you, even then you got to drive people. But where are you pushing those? Good point. So, number one, you I'm always, just going
1: to keep chicken and egging you this entire conversation, because I good. honestly don't know the answer, so I'm just going to pick you apart.
0: So, you got to start with friends and family first, of course. Like, that's, your, uh, that's the immediate network and audience you have. Hopefully you have an unfair advantage there, where there's someone who knows somebody who knows somebody who can get you on like your local news station on a Saturday morning. Um, But you start with friends and family, tell everybody about it. And ideally see if they're like, yeah, I'm interested validate your idea right then and there by being like, okay, I will sell it. This item to you at cost. Do you have your credit card? If they say yes, as awkward as that situation may be, if they say yes, at least, you know, somebody's willing to pay for it. That is a, a vote of confidence that will help you, that will power you in the dark times. So you start with friends and family. If you could just get 10 people on your email list, okay, great, that's 10 more people than you had before. And maybe like, it stays top of mind with them, they, start, um, they forward it to other people, and that's another thing. All right, if I can just get those 10 friends and family on there, send out an email, ask them, hey, could you post about this? Could you share it with people? And you're not even looking to have a product for sale you're just looking for that like early bird VIP list where you're introducing the idea, you're teasing the product and you wanna get people into an email list. Hold up. We'll hear more after this quick break. Support for this podcast comes from Simpler, a new way to staff 24 seven sales and customer service on your Shopify store. It works with your existing email and chat tools. So setup is quick and easy. Simpler provides on-demand US-based customer service specialists to answer your customer's most common questions. Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat with 24-7 Simpler specialists. Find out more at Simpler.ai. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I. And now back to the show.
1: Hit me. My question, I just always come back to Facebook because like Facebook consistently boggles my mind the ROI that we see on Facebook ads that is just like the greatest driver of revenue and traffic in the history of the world. So it's like if you think about what, your target market is, and hopefully you'd be able to like tease something out. Like it's men that would also be into this thing. Like they, that would be it. You could find that Facebook audience on Facebook and buy ads for your thing. Or are we declaring that pay-per-click ads is cheating?
0: You could initially start with um, those affinity audiences where it's like, I know I have a theory, an idea on who my uh, target market is. And so I can use a, an interest-based audience to get people to the site to look at it. Um, with Julie's site, with W or WDW, I got lucky and I was able to do that where um, it, we were able to look up like similar target people who are interested in very similar websites and then ads to them, sponsored ads, worked okay where we did a giveaway. So, okay, well, I had the affinity audience and I was able, we had a giveaway. We were able to gener, um, spend some money and get the first 500 people on the list. And then it got easier. She ran a second giveaway months later, and we're going to do an update episode with her and hear about it. But we do a second giveaway, same strategy, but now that we've got those initial 500 people, plus we've been running Facebook-like ads and had them down to like 15 cents a click, um, a like, uh, and people organically liking it. All right, now we got uh, 2,500 Facebook likes, plus Instagram, I mean now she's got an audience of thousands you run that giveaway again okay now her email list is at 2000 so it went from the initial 10 friends and family to then middle step was giveaway um, promoted with affinity audiences that gets her to 500 and then well okay we saw it work do it again now she's at thousands of people and that was we started in october it's february now that's pretty pretty good yeah Um, to my own point, it was just to drive awareness. Like, none of that was to sell. It was just to get people familiar with the brand. And now they are. Okay, now she's starting to sell um, the T-shirts, and she's doing affiliate marketing, et cetera, et cetera. I think um, just rattling off, like, some other ideas. Well, the way she did it has been just organic social media combined with some ads um, and giveaways as a lead magnet. So, like, that's the strategy right there. Mm -hmm. But she's lucky in that, like, initially – We tried several affinity audiences uh, because you could just be like people who like Disney World. We're people who are planning a trip to Disney World. The the most engaged initially were the people who liked similar brands. Not everybody's going to be in a position where you can target like that on Facebook. Yeah. But if you are, great. You have an unfair advantage. The other ones would be um, you could do uh, guest podcasting. Oh, yeah. Like really it's. So I get a lot of lousy pitches, but a good – I'll tell you right now, a good pitch looks like this. Hey, listen to your show. Um, I think I can – and you the, all your pitch emails need to answer one question. What's in it for the recipient? So you go, hey, I, uh, I listen to your show. I think I could provide value to, to your audience. Oh, I got your attention. Um, here's a quick intro on me and how I would provide that value. Here are three topic ideas. Don't just say, I want to be a guest on your show. Don't just say, all right, I want to talk about this one thing go here are three possible topic ideas. So now it's a choice of yeses. Every time I've gotten an email like that, I've said yes, or it's given me enough context where I go, okay, that's pretty good. Let's combine topics one and two or like let's do this would this similar topic work for you? And then it's not tough to find podcasts um, and reach out to them. Uh, <laughs> so that one's like that one's freebie. You don't have to pay any money to do that one um, and like podcasts have such. Uh, are growing and you do several they have big audiences once you get on the first one then you can use that as an example of hey i was part of your your pitch yeah
1: i was on, i was on this other podcast you've heard of and then when you're on the podcast as i'm sure our listeners have heard you know offer a deal like you're trying to that those yeah. early those early weeks of being open and months of being open trying to get those first hundred orders you just want to get those first hundred orders you need to get the asses in the seats so offer deals
0: absolutely I suppose you could do guest blogging, like you could do blogging on your own site, but that's such a long term thing because it's it's content marketing, it's SEO. Um, It's going to be months and months before you see a lot of traffic from that, if any, you know, assuming you're good at it. Um, You could try guest blogging, but man, I don't know if that's even like a a reasonable thing to do anymore.
1: What about like YouTube prank videos? (laughs) You You just like wear the T-shirt or your Brand while yelling, it's just a prank, bro. All right. As after you punch people in the street in the face.
0: <laughs> so the, well, so obviously it's a joke, but not that crazy. <laughs> in that, um, there is an influencer marketing platform. I think YouTube owns it, called Famebit. F A M E B I T. Julie went on it to promote her stuff, and you go up uh, either as a someone who has an audience or someone who's looking for an audience who needs an influencer. And so she posted up, said, hey, you know, um, you know, I've got I'm look, I need to people go to Disney World and I'm trying to promote uh, my products. And so she, then you get pitches and a ton of them were. I've got a prank channel, which, yeah, it's like, Ugh. OK, cause that's not relevant. But there was a guy on there named Mr. Cheesy Pop who had you know, like tens of thousands of subscribers on YouTube for his Disney World channel. And he wore the shirts and promoted it. And that worked.
1: And that's how Julie ended up going to the fire festival.
0: She did not go to the fire festival. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so uh, influencer marketing. uh, Yeah, you got to spend a little bit of money on it, but it's not. uh, I don't think it's excessive, and I don't think it's as risky as messing with Facebook ads if you don't have no idea what you're doing and you're approaching it for the first time. Um, It also gives you like, I think the goal here, building an audience, is also building a community, and getting access to influencers can help you break into that community. You can also just approach influencers and go, hey, I like what you're doing. Can I send you one of my products because I'm proud of it? And that um, then implicitly is, okay, if they're into it, hopefully they'll share it with their, their audience. Again, that one's a gamble. But yeah, all of these things, I think, go back to the, the core goal of break into an audience, build a community, and get brand awareness. Then from there, okay, now once you've established trust, you're top of mind. Now you can get uh, then transition to selling a product. I think the worst thing you could do is just open with "Hey, buy my stuff." Like it's, it's not gonna, you're never gonna get anywhere. You're not gonna get subscribers that way. Um, you gotta do it one step at a time. Did we cover it? Did we answer it? Is some good brainstorming. I think, that's a lot, there. I
1: think there's a lot of good, uh, good advice there. I mean, if you have if you have specific questions, feel free to ask them.
0: To yeah, us. let me know okay, and then our our final third point for the day is uh, a an article I wanted to discuss so on medium, say Hill Lavinia, who founded gumroad gumroad is a um it's a product platform it's largely used by people who are selling who just need a quick easy way to sell digital goods. You can sell their stuff on it. Um,
1: we sell our book on it,
0: yeah. Yeah, a lot of people. Why don't you sell it on Shopify? Well, because at the time Gumroad was easier. That was several years ago. Um, we now use Shopify to fulfill it, but Gumroad is with Gumroad was good. Gumroad is good, uh, nice solution. And he wrote this article called "Reflecting on My Failure to Build a Billion Dollar Company."
1: Yeah, so he was the uh, he was the second employee at Pinterest, and obviously got a ton of stock options. And he had a great idea for his own startup. And he just – it was burning in his brain, and he wanted to do it and get started on it. So he quit Pinterest. This is in 2011. In 2011, before he got any of his money and was like, I'm going to make this – I'm going to make Gumroad. And he did. And he got a bunch of uh, venture capital money. Uh, I think he ended up getting – I think he had like $8 million in venture capital. And uh, then it kind of all blew up about four years later.
0: So in the way he launched it uh – was was interesting. He wrote, I built Gumroad that weekend and launched it early Monday morning on Hacker News. So we've got another community uh, forum page. The reaction exceeded my grandest aspirations. Over 52,000 people checked it out on the first day. Later that year, I left my job as the second employee at Pinterest before I vested any of my stock to turn into what I thought would become my life's work. Almost immediately, I raised $1.1 $1. 1 million from an all-star cast of Angel Investors and VC firms. A few months later, in 2012, we raised $7 million more. So you're right, they raised $8 million. And he he writes, I was on top of the world. I was just 19. Uh, Then we grew the team. We stayed focused on the product. The monthly numbers started to climb until, at some point, they didn't. So to keep the product alive, I laid off 75% of my company, including many of my best friends. It really sucked. But I told myself things would be fine. Well, let's...
1: Let's look at the the choice he faced. The choice he faced was we've reached a certain level of growth and growth has now plateaued and we need to get growth ramping up again so we can get our next round of VC money, which he thinks would have been about $15 million. Right. And instead of like flailing and and they flailed for a little while trying to figure out how to get that growth shooting up again, he just said, you know what? What if we didn't do that? And he laid off everyone on the company – And just streamlined it down and stopped having a $25,000 a month office space in San Francisco, moved to Utah, and just focused on the core product and was like, if I just focus on the core product, I have a perfectly viable company that I can live off of and works works great. To a lot of people, obviously that sounds like a great idea, but to the world that he was living in, that's a terrible idea because he blew it. He could have been a billionaire and he blew it. Instead, he just has a very happy life making six figures a year on the company he owns
0: right so he said you know looking back on it um, for a VC backed firm any month with less than twenty percent growth consistently month over month is a red flag that they it it's not um, that it can't scale and they shouldn't be investing in it so he ended up facing this choice which was slim down or shut down and the uh in the article, he says the VCs were pressuring him to shut the thing down um, and instead.
1: Or like sell the company out to be acquired by a bigger company or to acquire the team just to pretty much end it all. Because, you know. An acquire. Yeah, get hire. bought and, just And i mean, to get that's the that's kind of what you're seeing now in a, like uh, newspapers and like mall retail. It's the same thing. Those companies are owned by private equity that are expecting a certain large amount of money every single month to be happening. And if they don't see that certain amount of money, which normally would be a perfectly fine amount of money in the old days, they've now decided, well, that's just not worth our time, so we're just going to end it.
0: And it, uh, it's interesting why the investors thought he should shut down the business. So that you would, they say, it, one, it's to minimize losses because you return the remaining money to the investors because he said they had uh, 18 months of runway. So you return that money back to the investors – and it, because they believed in him, and really thought, "All right, you should stop, stop this, start again with something else, build a different billion-dollar company for us."
1: Yeah, they were like, "You're clearly smart. It's just that this one didn't work out. So we'll, let's, we're all just going to run it back and try again."
0: It's just, it, and he you know, it makes very clear, like, "It sucked. I felt like a failure." And it's baffling because for the outside looking in, if a business that's successful, oh my gosh, you're, that would be thrilling to have. But in like Silicon Valley VC universe. Well, it's not going to hit a billion dollars, so give up now. Yeah, I
1: mean, they're very— It's crazy. He's very open about his finances and about the company's finances, and I mean, who knows what he actually pays himself. But it's not crazy if he, like, paid himself, given where Gumroad is now, that that if he made, like, half a million dollars a year. No like He's a complete and utter disastrous failure because he only makes half a million dollars a year working for himself.
0: (laughs) It's madness. So ultimately, the choice he made was, they said— uh, they decided to become profitable at any cost. So the next year was not fun. I shrunk the company from 20 employees to five, and he breaks out the revenue, the numbers. He said a few months before a layoff, their revenue was in uh, June 2015, 90 grand a month, gross profit, $17,000, operating expenses, $364,000. Well,
1: because they had a huge team that they needed the huge team to build the new products that would get them to... A billion-dollar valuation.
0: Right. Then he says, a year later, in June 2016, our numbers look like this: revenue, 176,000 for the month. So 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 doubled. Doubled it. Gross profit, forty-two thousand, more than doubled. Operating expenses, thirty-two thousand dollars. Net profit. Yeah, one tenth the previous expenses. Net profit, ten grand. Then he says, uh, "Skelted crew to lifestyle business, it gets worse." I was basically alone. I didn't have a team nor an office, and San Francisco was full of startups raising gobs of money, building amazing teams and shipping great products. I had to run a quote, "measly lifestyle business." I understand that some people would dream to be in that position, but at the time I felt trapped. So what's our takeaway lesson from this? He has an interesting quote in here from Bill Gates. Someone asked him, how does he deal with failing to capture so much value? So Microsoft's huge, but tiny compared to the total impact it had on the world and on humanity. Bill Gates said, that's true with all companies. They create some value and succeed in capturing a very small percentage of it. And that's, um, I think at the, the first or second Shopify Unite, Harley Finkelstein, Shopify CEO, said, um, give more value than you take. And That like and then broke down. Hey, here's the amount of money that Shopify's paying out to merchants and to partners, versus you know, how much they're keeping. It's a tiny percent. And well, that's it's
1: the, and it's the same thing with the Gumroad guy. Like there are people that have their businesses and their products that they run off of Gumroad, and like Gumroad is literally their income. Is they make money selling on his platform, and so like he's very proud of that, rightfully so.
0: And that was what drove him to not shut it down. Yeah. Because then people, everyone,
1: everyone, if you shut it down and just, or just let it be hired and or whatever, those people that needed a platform to sell their stuff on, you know, they kind of
0: wouldn't have had anywhere to go. And he points out, um, while Gumroad may be small, our impact is large. There is, of course, the $178 million we've sent to creators.
1: So my takeaway from this is
0: not necessarily
1: be happy where you are, but don't try to strive for something that's like too crazy I, I don't know i guess it is like understand how far you can go i mean one of my one of the annoyances i have sometimes is stores that are like you know stores that do millions of dollars in revenue a year but they're like we got to ramp this up we got to make this change we got to make these changes we got to do this we got to do that it's kind of like
0: they're clearly stressed about it they're, they're like driving themselves about it. nuts, nuts like, with their eight-figure businesses
1: this store has got to do better and it's like man you're doing two million dollars a year Selling this product, I think you're kind of hitting the ceiling on this product with two million dollars a year. Like it's not that interesting, or like you gotta be happy with your two million and like do something else with it. You can't, you know, if you got an old Ford Model T, you can't just jam keep jamming shit into it till you win like street races.
0: Uh, maybe you could in that example. <laughs> Though, no, no, um, yeah, I think the point is uh, to when you compare yourselves, compare your success to others. Depending on how you framed it changes it completely. So this is this this guy, the solo founder of this really successful business that had an outsized impact on the internet and was very successful and was processing millions of dollars. But because he was in Silicon Valley startup culture, it was just utter torture and a complete failure for him was how he felt. And when he removed himself from that and said, uh, I'm going to change this company to profit first, right? Just focus cut all expenses, focus on developing profit. Ah, now he was able to build a company. um, I'm sure this guy's making mid-six figures now uh, that he could be happy with as opposed to making himself crazy trying to appease venture capitalists.
1: Well, and I think that that's also kind of how we run ourselves. Like, we've had big-name clients that we've kind of been like, "Uh, they're too crazy for us. Like, the, the amount of time suck that these people would be Is not something that we would be happy dealing with, and like although we like the check would be real nice, I don't think we want to do. I don't think we want to take on the stress and drama of what would be necessary to get that check.
0: And I think, for me, my takeaway is lifestyle business should not be a dirty word. And this came up in the that episode um, at the beginning of January with Paul Jarvis, where he's talking. He wrote Company of One in defense of building a small company and staying small. Um, There's another good book on the topic. Lifestyle business should in no way be an offensive, derisive term when we're – I mean, we're essentially going to to people who are making um, half a million dollars a year and going, well, shouldn't you be doing more? Shouldn't you you be growing your team? You
1: screwed it up. Yeah. You really – yeah. You should be trying harder.
0: We're going to make people feel bad about that? Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, versus like if they weren't an entrepreneur if they went uh, and had a typical career path are they going to make half a million dollars a year not, not unless or more than that not unless they're a hedge fund manager or like an A-list actor yeah let celebrate your success be happy with what you have mindset shift <laughs> <laughs> now, at the end of the day just build a business for the life you want and that is 100% oh, fantastic
1: that's a good line that's the line build the business for the life you want and like don't Create your own idea of what success means, instead of just like having other people tell you what you need to be. Especially in America, damn.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and it could change too. What that idea is, for like, you know, for me, it was always it was freedom, freedom to do what I want. Now I think success would be pay off my mortgage. Man, how cool would that be? <laughs> All right, so we discussed how to do an easy podcasting setup. Rapidly, that's get a Blue Yeti mic for 100 bucks. Focus on your content, edit in Audacity. It's free, host it on Simplecast for 12 bucks a month. Do it every week and go be consistent. Keep showing up, show up, show up, show up. That, like, just being consistent will drive most of the success of your life. Uh, number two, we brainstormed a bunch of ideas on how you go zero to 100. That really, those rough but exciting times in the beginning of an a entrepreneur's journey growing that business and hopefully if you're already established there's some ideas you hadn't considered in there uh and we discussed how to craft a decent pitch email and that same podcast email you could do the exact same idea to pitch bloggers um and then third we discussed what defining success what that looks like and ultimately that's that's for you to decide and not get pressured by the outside world uh and we that was inspired by Sahil Lavinia's uh, article about Gumroad. I will link to that in the show notes. Finally, the thing I need, the thing Paul and I need from you is, aside from more five-star reviews on iTunes, is to tell us what you want us to talk about next. How can we help you? This is your opportunity. So please, reply to the, uh, my newsletters, my emails. Tell me. I will put it in a, a text file sitting right on my desktop, PodcastTopics.txt. Your idea, I will copy and paste it in there. Um, shout out to Bryn Morgan. You, uh, he has been fabulous in giving uh, a whole bunch of great topic ideas. and um, Or just you know comment in the Facebook group on Official Shopify Podcast Insiders. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. One final note before we go. I wanted to remind you about the one Shopify theme my agency has used more than any other. It's called Turbo by Out of the Sandbox. And as its name implies, it's built for speed. But that's not why I love it. I love it because it's the most configurable feature pack theme for Shopify today. Features like predictive search, easy mega menus, infinite scrolling collections, and a ton of page templates. Calling it a theme doesn't do it justice. I think of it as a rapid prototyping tool for Shopify stores. And I've got a special offer for you. You can get it today at a 20% discount when you use the code PODCAST20. You can even try it for up to two weeks, and if you don't love it, out of the sandbox we'll give you a full refund. To check it out now, go to ethercycle.com slash turbo and use code podcast20 at checkout. That's ethercycle.com slash turbo. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, the unofficial Shopifypodcast.com, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including some details you might have missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors. Please support our show by supporting them, and thank you. The Unofficial Shopify Podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, and produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. The Unofficial Shopify Podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high-quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.